I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Down the blind, Andrew John. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle and won. Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by our friend of the page, Clarky. Mate, what's doing? Guru, how you going, mate? Yeah, all going well. I imagine my life a little less stressful than yours at the moment. I uh, had a baby recently, mate. Pretty full on? Yeah, pretty full on, but definitely something I'm really, really enjoying. And there's obviously some tough times, but it's just all worth it in the end. So, yeah, can't, can't complain at all. Mate, I'm, I'm, try- I'm still trying to find a pair of socks each morning. I'm very impressed how you're handling yourself. Tell me, mate, we're going to go through each and every team in the competition, all 16 sides. We're going to name our best team ever from those teams. Obviously, just the NRL era, though. Uh, tell us about the rules around this, mate. Absolutely. All right, guys. So for our selection criteria, the Guru and I have five rules. Number one, players are selected where they play their best footy. Um, so an example of this rule, Jonathan Thurston did play at the Bulldogs but he wouldn't be selected that club. Uh, number two is players must have played NRL, so 1998 season onwards. Um, the reason for that being, you know, for the Roosters, obviously you would have Arthur Beetson, but the guru and myself obviously never got to see him play. So um, we've gone NRL players only. Um, number three, the team structure must make sense. Um, example being, um, you wouldn't carry four backs on your bench. Your structure has to make sense. Um, number four, selected players are assumed to be in their prime. Um, we've made that rule to sort of eliminate the, oh, well, he had a better career argument. The players we select are who we think in their prime would be best for that team. Um, and number five, probably the most important guys, all these selections are subjective. And so we can't stress enough. These are only our own personal opinion. Um, we certainly haven't crunched the numbers and gone back and looked at the stats of every player. It's just what we believe to be true. And I think, mate, that last one, that's the one that stands out to me. I mean, rugby league, it is the absolute king of grey areas and there's going to be so many grey areas throughout this. But I think, mate, just having a look at our Broncos team, which we're going to announce tonight, I think we've hit the mark just quietly. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, like you said, even when, when you go looking at greatest lineup, there are there's so many fantastic players that have played for so many different teams that it becomes so difficult, you know, 
we, we might think we've hit the nail on the head and you guys might go, wow, how did you have him left out? Um, but that's just footy. Like, it would be such a boring game if we all had the same opinion at the end of the day. And I guess, mate, just from having a look at the few teams that we have already decided on, I mean, obviously 1-13 to 13 is a very general structure. That's easy to do. It's your bench that it gets tricky. I guess for most of these teams, we have sort of gone a utility in Jersey 14 and then uh, just a mixture of back rowers and front rowers, Jersey 15-17. to 17. So uh, all these teams I think you could put out there and they could function perfectly in the modern game. Let's uh, let's kick off with the Broncos, mate. And fullback, uh, for me, a lot of talented fullbacks, but... There is one standout here. You could have had him at 5'8", but uh, other guys that have played for the Brisbane Broncos in this era, I think Darren Lockyer, he had to be the fullback, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think there was... The thing with Lockyer, it was never easy in this Broncos side. It was straight away, is he our fullback or our 5'8"? Um, arguably one of the greatest in both positions. An incredible player that just simply had to be there somewhere. Mate, when we jump into the wingers, uh, there's obviously two standouts from me. I remember from my childhood watching these two. They were unbelievable, whether it was Broncos, whether it was for the Wallabies, whoever it was, just two incredible footballers. A number of other guys we, topped, we, we tossed up. I mean, like a Darius Boyd we potentially threw up there. But at their peak, Wendell Saylor and Lottie Takiri, especially the early 2000s, we essentially hear them talk about a lot how the Broncos you know, they essentially had an eight-man forward pack. They had their starting pack, and then they had their two wingers who just did so much work coming out of their own end. They just terrorized oppositions on kick returns and in early tackles coming out of their own end. These two, I think it was a pretty easy decision, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like you said, these two wingers sort of signaled the end of the smaller zippy winger, which we still do have in our game. But for the most part now, you've got Tupos, Toos, Ferguson's, these big bodies that can come in, take the early hit up, um, get your sets rolling. As you said, there was a little bit more contention around the wing spot. We considered um, Hancock, Darius Boyd, and a couple others. But ultimately, if we're talking about players strictly in their prime, then you just can't go past the Kiri and Wendell Taylor. They are just absolute freaks on the footy field. thing that I love about these two as well is that they are out-and-out wingers. They're not fullbacks slash wingers. They are just specialist wingers. And there's a lot of teams that we're going to pick over the next few weeks where a lot of guys we pick that are wingers, they potentially started on the wing, moved into fullback. These two, they're just genuine out-and-out wingers, which I think is great to see. Let's move to the centres, mate. The first guy I want to touch on, um, one of the greatest centres we've ever seen. I used to love watching this guy go about his footy. The king of... he, He would beat you without the football in and away and catch the ball on his way out. Steve Renolf, the Pearl, uh, some of those tries he scored in, you know, 92, 93, that, that grand final try, I think it was 92 where he goes the length against St. George, he bounces over the try line. Just an absolute freak, wasn't he? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm a little bit younger than yourself, so I wasn't lucky enough to watch the majority of his career, but you've only got to see highlights of this bloke to know that he was something else. And although he only played a season or two of NRL, when you talk about the Pearl, he's impossible to leave out of your best Broncos lineup. Mate, the other center, another Bronco great. And, you know, it's funny when you look back at his career, Justin Hodges, of course, at the end of the 2000, I think it was 99, 2000 season, essentially, he was an outcast at the Broncos. He'd signed with the Roosters. Wayne Bennett was filthy. It was like it was like Voldemort up there. You couldn't mention his name. But he returned a couple of years later. I think he returned in 05 or 06. Justin Hodges went on to captain the club and just been a premier centre in our game for so long, a real pure centre. He obviously played some time at fullback when they won the grand final in 06. He he spent plenty of time in the one jersey. But Hodges, for me, he's probably got the best scoot from an outside back I've ever seen. He was just the king of beating the first defender each and every time he touched the ball. 
Yeah, you touched on that, and that was exactly what I was about to say. The way he scooted at a dummy half was something, and he was just such a powerful center, specialist, like you said. And realistically, looking at his career, um, it didn't end in the best circumstances, but it was almost a fairy tale. If the Cowboys don't, you know, get that miraculous last-second try, then he retires 2015 as the captain in that grand final. He retires as the captain leading his team to a grand final what would have been the first time in a decade. So a little bit unfortunate there, but also a miraculous career for the Broncos and Justin Hodges. He's just one of those guys, mate. If I was running out, I, I, I would just be glad he's on my team and I'm not going up against him. I mean, he just brought he just brought a bit of fuck you to the game, didn't he? I mean, the way that he used to stand up in State of Origin all the time and he would just be running his lip all the time, he would just be a nightmare to come up against. Yeah, Justin Hodges, he's one of those players that as a Queenslander, you love him. As a Blues fan, you probably hate him. Much like a Greg Bird, they have that little bit of grub in them but it's so necessary, and his teammates love him for a reason. Mate, let's jump into the halves now. Uh, Kevin Walters, we picked at six. Obviously, the current coach of the Brisbane Broncos, but this guy, I mean, when we talk about five-eighths, the greatest five-eighths ever, Kevin Walters, he sort of fades away a little bit, you know, especially out of his era. We talk Freddie, we talk Laurie Daly, these sort of guys, but, mate, this is the guy that lifted the most trophies. He was consistently unbelievable that entire time for the Brisbane Broncos. I think he's very underappreciated and undervalued in our game. Most definitely. When we talk about Kevin Walters, I believe it's five premierships for the club and the fact that he's come back, he's coached them now. We're probably talking about one of the greatest Broncos ever. Uh, For me, he had to be there in the sixth. And just a quick note to our listeners, I know what everyone might be thinking, Wally Lewis, he didn't qualify for the rule which said you had to be an NRL player. Um, And that's why we've gone with Kevin Walters, just a magnificent club man for the Broncos. And, mate, his halves partner, uh, I mean, obviously this team is picked 98 and onwards. So the Broncos, I mean, they had Ben Hunt in 2015. But outside of that, they really have never found a halfback to replace this guy, Alan Langer. We've seen Brett Seymour jump in there. We've seen, um, I think it was, what's his name? The, the, the fellow that won the premiership in 06. I always forget his name. But he was essentially another guy that was just plucked out of reserve grade by Wayne Bennett. They've they've had a lot of trouble filling this seven jersey. Hopefully Adam Reynolds will be the answer. But Alan Langer... I mean, small in stature, but his ability and the courage that he played with, just second to none. You're spot on when you say they haven't been able to replace him as well. Um, but, you know, they've had Shane Perry, as you were saying, in the grand final there. That's him, Shane Peter Perry. Wall- yeah, I actually Googled it, so I did cheat. Um, yeah, they had Peter Wallace for a save there, Ben Hunt for a save there. They've never been able to replace him. And the thing I love about Alan Langer was in an era where, the, where footy was so tough and it was built on hard men, Alfie really shown that you can play the game as a small man. You can bring your craft and your, um, you know, your craftiness to the footy field and still be effective. And I've actually had people um, tell me, I, I've asked a few times, who's your favorite footy player? And often you do see a lot of people saying, I love Alfie Langer because he showed me that you can be small and play rugby league. Um, he was small in stature, but his heart was huge. He's one of those guys, too. A lot of Queenslanders I talk to, and especially the older generation, say that, you know, if he was from New South Wales, if he was playing for a Sydney club his entire career, he'd probably been a model of our game. Maybe that's a bit of Queensland bias. I'm not sure. But it certainly says something about this guy. I mean, you see those old origin tapes, probably pre-98, to be fair, definitely pre-98. But when he first arrived, I mean... Mate, there, there, there was bits of grass out there that were taller than him, and he was still dominating origin. Just an unbelievable footballer. Magnificent origin career, career for the Broncos, you name it. Alfie Langer, at the time when he played, he was the man. 
Mate, good in the first half, better in the second half. King of the third half too, Alfie. All the stories we've heard, him getting on tables, him getting his kid off, just seems to be a champion bloke in the locker room as well, which for me and this sort of stuff, it definitely matters. I think it matters in rugby league 100%. Mate, from the smallest guy that we've picked here, to probably the two biggest. And look, if you said to me, hey, pick uh, your two best front rowers from 98 onwards, geez, it would be hard to leave one of these guys out, let alone both of them just quietly. Uh, Shane Webke, Petro Seven Receiver. And I sort of feel a little bit sorry for Petro Seven Receiver. I think he's one of the best front rowers we've ever seen, but he potentially came along at the same time as the best front rower of that generation, Shane Webke. We've obviously heard some of the stories with Webke. I mean, the 2000 grand final, broke his arm a couple of weeks before the game, played through that, simply incredible. 2006 grand final, he wins it in his last game. Just unbelievable scenes. Uh, Petro Seven Receiver in his own right, obviously left the Broncos for a little bit, but played in that 06 grand final and was a stalwart in rep teams for just so long. Two incredible front rowers, weren't they? Absolutely. Yeah, I've got to say, these, these two men, I, I had the pleasure of watching the majority of their careers, and I would say, from my own perspective, these are probably the two greatest front rowers I've seen at this stage. Um, just absolutely incredible, as you said, so tough. And for me, Shane Webke especially, he sort of signaled that he was the last of the real hard hard man, the hard props, the props that you were scared to come up against each week. There are still a few in the NRL now. You know, you still got your David Clemens, etc., but... None, none as tough and none as scary as these two front, uh, front rowers. The sort of guys that, you know, you were probably nervous the night before a game knowing you were coming up against them. And, mate, I think these two, especially with the younger generation now, when you see the way that front rowers are going, I mean, when you look back at these guys and compare them to the front rowers coming through now, I mean, these fellas would almost seem, you know, irrelevant to some extent to the, the skill set you're seeing in front rowers now. But in the time they played, these guys just dominated the centre third each and every week. Yeah, most definitely. You know, it's all about errors. When you go to, you know, back in that time, your front rower needed to be big, he needed to be tough, he needed to be scary. And those men did just that. Um, just another quick note to our listeners, guys. Um, I know people are thinking probably, where's Glenn Lazarus? Um, sort of back to rule one. We want to select players where they were best known. Um, so we're going to, I don't want to, obviously it's a bit of a spoiler, but everyone knows how great he was. He will likely be in our storm lineup. And that's why you're not seeing him here in the Broncos. But he was equally incredible. Mate, let's jump into the back row and some tough hombres here. Let's kick off with the raging bull, Gordon Tallis. Obviously the captain of the Brisbane Broncos for a long period of time. Uh, played in the 2000 grand final, played in the 98 grand final, I want to say off the top of my head too. Uh, an unbelievable footballer, Gordon Tallis. He just, he epitomised what the Brisbane Broncos were for so long, didn't he? The thing I love about Gordy was he was a genuine enforcer. He led by, he, he never... It wasn't just his words that inspired. It was the way he played the game. He was so aggressive, in your face, striking fear into the you know the opposition's hearts. And for me, again, he's obviously one of the best back rowers I've ever had the pleasure to watch. And yeah, phenomenal football player. I love when you hear that story of them out at Penrith Park that day and Wayne Bennett, you know, he sort of said to him, hey, you know, these young fellas, they think they're getting the better of you now. And his reaction was, okay, I'm going to go out there and belt someone. And uh, the, four, the poor old Penrith front rower, fuck, bad day to be him, wasn't it? Oh, oh, like you said, different eras. But in that era, if that was what necessary, then that's what was necessary. And Gordon Tallis was never one to shy away from a battle, whether that be a, a tough hit up, a tough tackle dragging someone 20 metres over the sideline, or as you said, a bit of a dust up on the field. 
Oh, mate, I'll never forget it. They, they, they played a World Club Challenge one year. I want to say pr- probably that 98 year, the start of 99, and he grabbed one of their front rowers and, mate, he put four of the best punches I think I've ever seen on his nose. Just an incredible player and enforcer, as you said, a champion bloke as well. Let's move, mate, to the other back rower. And- Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I mean, we all respect Sonny Bill Williams, what he's done in a multitude of sports. He's been incredible in rugby league, rugby union. Mate, Brad Thorne, he was Sonny Bill before Sonny Bill. Dare I say, he might have been even more of a professional just quietly. Obviously, Sonny Bill did it in more of a professional era. This guy was doing it before you would even consider doing this sort of stuff. And he would walk from the Broncos winning premierships, Queensland winning Origin Origin, uh, Series, the Kangaroos winning World Cups, and then he'd go over and he'd jump into the All Blacks and win World Cups there. Brad Thorne, an an incredible athlete and an unbelievable footballer. Yeah, I think incredible athlete sums him up the best. For me, Brad Thorne had the the workhorse ethic of someone like a Dale Finucane um, or a Dallas Johnson, someone like that. But then, as you said, he also had the freak athleticism of a Sonny Bill and offload a palm the big shoulder charge. And as you said, in this era, this was, none of that was really around then. He sort of revolutionized the game and I've got no doubt inspired players like Finucane, um, Sonny Bill and the like. And just naturally, mate, his size, he was just so much bigger than everyone else getting around in his position. Obviously, went to Union and was fantastic in there. And obviously, to be a forward in Union, you know, there's all different sizes. But the the position he was playing in the back row, you've got to be a tall bit of timber. And this guy certainly was. He was a real point of difference in this side. He was a thick man, absolutely. And as you said, at the time, you know, generally someone that big probably would have been playing in the middle. Uh, might have been the era that he was playing in, as we as we spoke about earlier. The Broncos just had incredible props at the time, and maybe that's why he pivoted out to the back row. But um, whichever coaching staff made the decision to move him there, I bet they're glad they did because um, an exceptional career for Brad Thorne in rugby league and rugby union. And I think it says a lot about this guy that, you know, even when he went to Union, Wayne Bennett was always more than more than willing to have him back straight away and he'd slot straight in. An incredible footballer. Mate, uh, let's move to Jersey 13. Number of guys put their hands up here, but uh, CP13, Corey Parker, uh, had the goal kicking. Uh, work rate was unbelievable. Had an incredible offload as well. I mean, he was really one of the guys that sort of changed the game a little bit for forwards. You had to be a lot more fitter. Once Corey Parker was playing, you had to have an offload. You had to have a bit of X factor to him. He's not really like the modern 13. He didn't quite have the ball playing, but when he was playing in his day, he, he really was the sort of X factor 13, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I think in the modern game, I'd love to see Corey Parker play prop. I think what what, we, what you get from Corey Parker now is probably what the Blues are going to try to do with Jake Trevojevic in the Origin Series this year. And not so much ball playing, but as you said, an offload to someone who is a ball playing lock or your halves to sort of create opportunities. Amazing goal kicker. And the thing I remember most about Corey Parker was when he retired, I was genuinely upset and a little bit shocked because he was still so good. He still had so many great years in him. He went out in arguably his prime. He was getting better with age and his offload is probably what I remember most from his game, but everything Corey did was magic. 
And, mate, without a doubt, too, a lot of my listeners, obviously Supercoach fans, and this guy, he was the king of Supercoach for a long time there. The combination of goal-kicking, offload, tackling, hit-ups, he was the absolute goat for a while there. Yeah, absolutely. I think we did consider Jeannie Miles for the uh, lock position here, but ultimately, I think we've said enough. You just can't go past Corey Parker, an exceptional athlete and one of the best locks, period, let alone just for the Broncos. Mate, uh, let's dive onto our bench, and this is where it got really difficult. The 14 jersey, uh, the the utility. We had a number of guys to pick from here. Um, for me, I, I just couldn't go past Carmichael Hunt. He is just... I, I don't think we ever saw the best out of Carmichael Hunt, but what we saw out of him, it absolutely blew me away. What a footballer he was. Yeah, there was a few options for the utility role. We, we weighed up Sean Berrigan, Kerrod Walters, and a couple others. But in the end, I think we were both more than comfortable with that selection of Carmichael Hunt. X-Factor off the charts. Um, there was no fullback running the football back like Carmichael Hunt was back in the day. Um, very exciting from Broncos fans that he is back now. But in his prime, Carmichael Hunt, he is one player that I genuinely wish our game never lost. Made the ball-playing ability. that He was just the king of threes on twos at one point. He would just peel it off each and every time, whether it was the perfect pass, the perfect kick. He was incredible, Carmichael Hunt. You just throw up a name there, Sean Berrigan. You reminded me, I've completely skipped over the nine that we went for. Now, the the hookers up at Brisbane, um, you know, there's never really been a, a, a crazy standout there, to be honest with you. There's always been a champion seven, a champion six, champion fullback. We have gone for Sean Berrigan, obviously the Clive Churchill medalist uh, from 2006. And obviously, when we kicked off that season, uh, the hooker was actually Michael Ennis. People forget about this. Ennis got injured that season. A Wayne Bennett masterstroke, he moves Sean Berrigan in there, and he just becomes... You know, the best hooker in Brisbane, but just the king utility for three or four years there. What are your memories of Sean Berrigan, mate? Memories are probably more so as a utility, just because he was so versatile for that time. For that time, we didn't really have Connor Watsons and Tyrone Peaches and genuine utilities around the game. There were obviously a couple, but they weren't as notable. And Sean Berrigan, for me, is the first genuine utility that I can remember. And as you said, you know, magnificent when he was moved to hooker. So we were both more than comfortable to select him at nine. Mate, there was a time there where, for the Kangaroos, he would be sitting in jersey 14, and your hooker, 5'8", halfback or centre could go down, and you honestly wouldn't be that worried because you knew you had Sean Berrigan and you knew he would do a job for you. An incredible footballer. Let's go back to our bench, mate, and we had Carmichael Hunt at 14, our utility. we got three forwards coming our way here. The first one we picked, a Broncos legend, a Queensland Maroons legend as well, Sam Thiday. Could obviously slot into the front row or in the back row, just as effective in both spots. Played in the second row in their 2006 grand final. An incredible footballer. Sam Thiday, for me, is one of the greatest Broncos. Could have left the club multiple times and received more money elsewhere, but always stayed loyal to the Broncos. And he never really had too many form slumps across his whole career. There was maybe a season or two where he was down and probably a little bit more so towards the end. But in his prime, Sam Thiday could play prop, he could play lock, he could play back row, because he just brought so much to the team and he was able to pivot and adapt to how the team needed him to play um, but regardless, you know, his, his game was built on his rugged defense and his, his work in, um, with the ball in hand. He was never afraid to have an offload. And Sam Thiday, for me, um, one of the greatest Broncos ever. Mate, the next guy on our list is potentially, I'm pretty sure he is, 
The only guy in our team that hasn't won a premiership for the Brisbane Broncos is Matt Gillette, uh, a guy that was obviously forced into retirement early. He did play in the 2015 grand final that they unfortunately lost that night. So I think he is the only guy to not win a grand final. And I reckon he would quite possibly be the Bronco with the most games without winning a premiership in their history. I'd have to check that, but I think he'd be right up there with the very best of them. His timing was very unlucky there, but this guy... Just an absolute stalwart. I used to love the way that Matty Gillette went about his business. And I think the downfall of the Broncos over the last few years, I think people undervalue the fact that this guy was the guy that left the building just before it all fell apart. That's a really good point. And I remember being, again, genuinely upset when I heard he was forced to retire early. You know, he was so important to the Broncos. Not only was he one of their most experienced forwards, but he was still at that time one of their best forwards. There was a couple other options we weighed up for the bench. We looked at Alex Glenn potentially. And then there's other young guns at the Broncos, such as Payne Haas, where if they continue their career trajectory, they might catch up to Matchelette. But as it currently stands, Matchelette was an absolute weapon, whether he played for the Maroons, Broncos, or Australia. Mate, the last guy on our bench and one of my favourite players of all time, a champion bloke, a bit of an unorthodox little thing, could play centre, could play in the back row, would shift a lock. Uh, Tony Carroll, uh, a real X-factor sort of guy, as I said, could play a multitude of positions. And I remember when we were talking about this team and we were sorting it out, I actually picked him at 13 first. He was the first lock forward that came to my mind. And then you reminded me of Corey Parker, and I had to back you in on that one. But Tony Carroll... For, for there to be any team that he doesn't make the start in 13 of, it's a very impressive side. It would have to be certainly a very impressive side. Tony Carroll, an amazing player. Probably my biggest memory of Tony Carroll, I remember him being a little bit of a bodyguard for Darren Lockyer yep. when Lockyer did make the shift from fullback to 5'8". Obviously, coming up in the main line of defense, a lot of opposition teams thought, we need to run our back rows at Lockyer. We need to tire him so he's less effective in attack. And I just remember as a young gun, a uh, young child, sorry, uh, watching Tony Carroll. You're, you're right life. yourself. <laughs> yeah, I got tickets to myself. <laughs> oh, my bad. Uh, I remember Tony Carroll you know, coming out of the line and just protecting Lockyer at all times. He was his bodyguard. And I truly believe without Tony Carroll there for so many years, Lockyer would have been found out a lot more in defense. Um, I'm not going to go as far as to say potentially his move to 5-8 wouldn't have worked, um, but it certainly would have been compromised to a, a much greater degree. And, mate, it was really interesting that a few years later, obviously, Wayne Bennett, he had so much success with having Tony Carroll playing the Kevin Costner, the bodyguard role with Darren Lockyer, that when he arrived at the Dragons, and he had a very similar situation, he had the best kicking game in the competition in Jamie Soward. Couldn't tackle a two-piece feed, though, unfortunately. So he went down the same route. He grabbed Bo Scott, and he said, hey, this is your guy. You need to protect him. And once again, Wayne Bennett lifts the trophy. And speaking of Wayne Bennett, mate, he was our obvious choice of the coach of this team, wasn't he? Yeah, there was really no other question. Obviously, we did weigh up Anthony Seabold. Uh, no, I'm just joking. Of course, it was Wayne Bennett. There was no questions about it. Mate, what he's achieved there has been unbelievable. And what, what has sort of happened when he's not there as well? I think it says a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I made a joke of it then. But at the time, when they removed Wayne Bennett, he was, uh, you know, he had the Broncos in the finals. Yes, they bowed out the year before in very unimpressive fashion to the Dragons. But in my opinion, they removed not only the most experienced coach, but a top three coach at the time and a man entering, you know, 20 plus seasons with a wealth of experience. And realistically, although Anthony Seabold had just one coach of the year, they replaced him with a coach moving into his second full year of, uh, of coaching. 
I think in hindsight, the Broncos will absolutely look back and, you know, look at that as a huge mistake in there. You know what? I'm prepared to say that's the biggest mistake the Broncos have ever made in their club's franchise, removing Wayne Bennett, even if it was only a year early. Mate, it's like it's like coming on to play the song after Elvis. It just whoever it was, it was going to be a nightmare, and you needed someone with a heap of experience there. I really, I, I do feel for Anthony Seabold. He got put put in a really tough position. I know he probably could have handled it better, no doubt about it. But geez, it was a tough gig to be put into, wasn't it? Like you said, he got thrown into the fire, and it's also important to note that because the the breakup with Bennett was so messy at the Broncos. His entire coaching staff just about left the Broncos because they wanted nothing to do with them, and they went to Rabbitohs with him. And so the Broncos um, and Anthony Seabold not only had a fresh head coach, they pretty much were fresh top to bottom. Um, as you said, I believe that was the year they lost Matchelet. So there were already there was already some writing on the wall that this is going to be a tough season. You throw in losing Bennett and his entire coaching staff, and uh, you know you almost got to feel sorry for Anthony Seabold in that regard. Mate, I'm going to shoot one out of the cannon for you before we go. If you were Wayne Bennett, who would you give the C to in this side? That's a really tough one. The ob- uh, the obvious choice is probably Gordon Tallis. Um, Yeah, I'll go with Gordy just because he was the captain of them for so many years. And if I can name a vice captain, I'm probably going to make Lockie my vice captain. Mm, interesting. I was topping. I was tossing up between Alan Langer and Darren Lockyer, but I mean between yep. Lockie Walters Langer. And Talos, my God, you essentially couldn't go wrong, could you? No, yeah, you'd have to say, you could not get that one wrong. All four of them are incredible leaders. And as you said, realistically, anyone could have the C on them and I'd feel more than comfortable. And I mean, on top of that, as you said before, Justin Hodges, he was three and a half seconds away from being a premiership skipper as well. So plenty of options there. Mate, we're going to have you back over the next few days. We're going to dive into the Canberra Raiders, our greatest lineup there. And of course, the Canterbury Bulldogs. Really excited to have you on for that one, mate. We'll talk to you soon. Perfect, Gary. Talk to you then. Cheers.